You are listening to the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France Fan. Today we're in Albi. If you lose the tour because of this, yeah, then then you're not happy. You made it because you worked so hard for your dreams, and if if this this happens to you, and that's the reason why you lose, then uh, yeah, it'd be really sad story. Well, that was the sound of a very disappointed uh, Demi Vollering of SD Works, who was handed a 20-second penalty on the general classification uh, today. But we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that, about the what's and why's and how's and where does the race stand uh, after that. But uh, a much more important headline, Denny Gray, is that we're finally in Albi, which I've been banging on about uh, all week about how great Albi is and how uh, I've just you know you'll have a great time because we're going to Albi and everything is great in Albi and uh, I don't think I've let you down Denny have I? You haven't Rose no when I arrived having jumped out of the a team car as we'll find out later I was a little bit nonplussed by your oh. Uh, oh. cheering for Albi because we were in some nondescript kind of edge of town area that didn't feel particularly grand but as soon as you, we walked into the centre here, it is absolutely stunning, <laughs> to coin a phrase. Uh, feels a little bit Venetian around here, oh. I have to say, um, especially Ooh. with the heat. And it's with the very, a- very Aperol spritzes, Aperol Sprite. Yes. What's, the, what's, the, what's the plural Spritz. of an Aperol Spritz? Spritzes. Spritzy. Hmm. Aperol Spritzy, maybe. That's <laughs> very Venetian, of course. Us, but uh, yes, th- thank you, Lizzie uh, Banks, for noticing. We are, uh, we've just been having beers, haven't we, on all the other days, but we went for Aperol Spritz because it's, Albi is like this beautiful uh, red stone uh, tower, uh, city. You know, it's got these, all these little winding streets that we're in right now. It's got a beautiful uh, big square with a big red uh, cathedral, the uh, Toulouse-Lautrec Museum, which I was also waxing lyrical about, which Francois... Uh, Thomas O will give us a little bit more uh, on that but we have had to go on a little side street haven't we Denny to uh, try and hide a little bit from the jazz bands that are just warming up uh, in the main uh, square and we have on the line of course Lizzie Banks who doesn't have um, an Aperol Spritz with her not that I can see I've got I've She's got on the uh, clear stuff I've got, <laughs> I've got an elderflower cordial it's actually really delicious keeping my uh, glucose levels up for oh, what is going to be, you know, a thrilling, another thrilling episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminine. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, you don't have to look quite so, um, sounds so <laughs> sarcastic, uh, Lizzie, but, um, well, Lizzie, if, uh, you know, it's going to be so thrilling, uh, then it all kind of comes down to how great your tale of the attack is, doesn't I it? I know, so I did say... Why I, don't we hit... <laughs> I was going to say for a thrilling tale of the attack, but then I realised that put all the pressure on myself. So I was trying to do an Annemiek van Vluten and put the pressure back onto the whole race rather than just on myself. <laughs> oh, but I guess I better get underway with the tale of worked. the attack. No, it didn't work at all. It's time for the tale of the attack. Um, well, Rose, there was big news before the race had even started today with three non-starters, Jenny Rizveds, Mia Otterstad and stage three winner Lorena Vibers, the latter unable to start, having struggled with stomach issues the past couple of days and waking up this morning with a fever. There was yet more tummy trouble in the peloton for FDJ Suez's oh, no. French favourite, <laughs> Evita Music, aban- abandoning the race shortly after the flag dropped. A hot start was on the menu today for the 126.1 kilometres from Une-le-Château to Albi, the famous Albi, with temperatures in the mid-30s the Albi. and the bunch splitting into three in the aggressive opening kilometres. A strong 11-rider breakaway went up the road. Paolo Patino, Misha Bredevold, Amber Crack, Olivia Baril, Luis Arachiste, Justin Hikira, Claire Steeles, Hannah Ludwig, Clara Koppenberg, Ella Wiley and Clara Emond. Canyon Schramm and Fenix de Koenig, having missed the move, both chased hard behind with Sarah Tizit WNT contributing as their white jersey was under threat from Ella Wiley of Life Plus Wahoo ahead. A puncture and rear wheel change for Demi Vollering of SD Works with 60 kilometres to go preceded an illegal tow back to the convoy and a severe telling off from the Moto Commissaires to Sports Director Danny Stamm. 
With the breakaway never gaining more than a minute on the bunch, they were swept up on the first categorised climb of the day, the Cook de Najak, at 50 to go. With the polka dot jersey of Anushka Costa distanced, Yara Castellain took the maximum points over the top and then repeated the feat on the next time climb of the Cote de la Guapie. 36 kilometres to go now, and with the main peloton only having around 30 riders remaining after an attritional day out, it was Ricarda Bauenfeind of Canyon Tram who decided it was time to move. A strong attack on the climb towards the bonus seconds at Castel Fades, and Claire Steeles was the only, only rider to respond. But as the road went up, Bauenfeind put the hammer down and Steeles couldn't react. Bauenfeind hovered at 20 seconds ahead, but at 30 to go, the wind went out of the chase. The riders looked at each other, replenished their drinks, and before they knew it, Bauenfeind suddenly had 1 minute 30 to play with. At 20 kilometres to go, the very reduced bunch behind, with very few teams with multiple teammates, started messing about, attacking and counter-attacking, causing the speed to yo-yo up and down and playing right into the hands of Canyon Tram. 17 kilometres to go now, and not wanting a repeat of yesterday's second place behind an escapee, SD Works put European time trial champion and powerhouse Marlon Reuser on the front to rein Bauenfeind in and restore some order. With Reuser the only rider working, it was a head-to-head race of truth, and in six kilometres, Reuser halved the gap to 40 seconds. With only a straight flat run into the line and Bauenfeind in sight now, surely it was all over for the young German rider. But with four kilometres to go, there was suddenly clear road behind Reuser and Lippert, who had been leading down the descent. Reuser powered on before realising the peloton wasn't in her wheel, and Lippert seized the opportunity and started to ride, as Reuser then refused to help the fast-finishing Lippert. No reaction from the bunch behind saw Bauenfeind heading through 3k to go with a 25-second lead on Reuser and Lippert, who had another 15 seconds on the favourites behind. FDJ launched an attack from the group, but it was all too late as Ricarda Bauenfeind pushed to the line and right through it for every single second, not even sitting up for a celebration as she could hardly comprehend the scale of her victory. Marlon Reuser stayed cool on the wheel of Lippert and came round her to take second place with Kopecky winning the bunch sprint for fourth and once again holding onto yellow and green. Yara Castellain regained the regained the polka dot jersey for Fenix de Koenig and Sadrine Carabal held onto the white jersey for one more day. <laughs> Well, yet another young talent defying the odds and making it to the line for Canyon Shram's first Tour de France stage win and moving Bauenfeind nine spots up the GC to just inside the top ten. A few more little shake-ups in the top ten, with Ashley Mormon-Passio taking two bonus seconds to move her into the second spot, whilst Demi Vollering dropped down to seventh, losing a potentially critical 20 seconds due to a time penalty for drafting in the convoy after her puncture at 60 to go. Well, we will, of course, come to Ricarda Bauenfeind and what a fantastic that win that was for her and, and for her team, Canyon Sram. But, uh, I mean, I think the real serious story of the day is Demi Vollering uh, being punished, being given this penalty uh, of 20 seconds on the general classification for drafting uh, behind uh, the Team SD Works car. They were kind of coming along on the left-hand side uh, of the road with all the team cars on the right. There was even a, a race car in front, a DSM race car uh, in front of them, which also meant that um, there was a bit of braking on the SD Works uh, car, which would have been put Demi Vollering in, obviously, in a very dangerous position as well. Uh, but yes, a punishment for her. I mean, a little bit, uh, Denny, you probably feel a bit vindicated, don't you? Because... Uh, Unfortunately, you said to Annemiek van Vluten yesterday that, you know, oh, uh, are you seeing any GC battle over the next uh, two days? And in a way, you know, as there's been an incident today which could actually affect the GC battle. Yeah, I mean, this will probably remain a talking point for a couple of days. I mean, particularly if it ends up a very, very close race between uh, Annemiek van Vluten and Demi Vollering. Uh, after the Tourmalet and going into the time trial. So I should say other riders are available. Other <laughs> GC riders are available. Absolutely. And I'm sure <laughs> Annemiek Probably not Van for Bruton spot one and two, let's be honest. <laughs> well, let's see, let's see. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, an unexpected twist in the uh, GC contest and uh, one that I'm sure um, SD Works will feel very uh, hard done by. But of course, you know, we've seen other punishments given out for drafting in the past. I mean, Nils Ekoff was famously... Uh, disqualified from the under 23 world championships after kind of drafting mm. back on after a, a crash uh, so you know I mean in the grand scheme of things I didn't actually get to see the instance I'm glad you've described it so beautifully Rose ah. uh, but um, <laughs> you know in the grand scheme of things maybe 20 seconds is 
I don't know what you guys think. Maybe it's not. It's quite a light punishment, given this. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's it's a big. It could be significant in the GC battle, but it's not. You know, from, well, what, from what we're expecting on the Tourmalet and then the time trial it may not be decisive in the end. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you look at the UCR regulations about this, and, and it, they're not... Obviously, there is this rule that you're not really allowed to draft, but there's no specifics on if you draft a, this amount of time or uh, for this amount of uh, kilometres. There really, really aren't any specifics, so it does come down to a little bit the jury on the day. But the rules do state that the lowest amount in in a stage race there is this penalty this time penalty that gets given if you think that the drafting um you know is worthy of a penalty and 20 seconds is actually the least uh, that you can be punished so it's not like they you know were choosing between five and ten and 20 seconds to punish her 20 seconds is uh the least uh, that you can get punished for this but lizzie how did you read this obviously you have um more knowledge than any of us about uh, what is what you would feel isn't isn't acceptable uh, in the peloton yeah well i mean to start off i you know i tried to find specific regulations regarding this i read the uci's absolutely scintillating guidelines for vehicle circulation in the race convoy um, and there wasn't anything specific regarding this but there are some really important points in this case that is that the sports director's drive on the right-hand side of the road and the left-hand side of the road is reserved for motos and vehicles that need to move up the convoy. Um, for instance, if a rider comes to the back of the peloton, puts their bead on the, in the air, then the, the car in question will come out of the convoy, drive up the left, go to the front, service their rider and then fall back to their position in the convoy down the left-hand side. So when a rider comes back to the convoy, what what always happens is, okay, the, the SD Works brought Demi Vollering back to the convoy. And I actually, I think at this point, she was expecting to go around the left-hand side of the car because she had been in the middle of the car beforehand. That's where you get the most draft. And she was just coming around to the left-hand side because I think she was expecting to go into the convoy at that point. At that point, the SD Works car, instead of going into the convoy, letting Demi Vollering go ahead and then her car being behind Demi, which is what should happen. The the team car of the rider has to stay behind the rider once they get to the convoy. Now, SD Works car actually continued up the left-hand side with the, with the other race cars on the right-hand side. As you said, I don't think it was DSM car, but there was another car out in the left-hand, um, in the left-hand column that was returning to their position and this was the really critical moment and I think the real reason that she got fined because the SD Works car squeezed past and had to go onto the verge to do this had to brake a little bit and if it had been centimetres closer they would have had to slam on their brakes and Demi Vollering would have gone into the back of the SD Works car mm. and this is a safety issue this is a very very mm. important safety issue here and that is why the car has to be behind the rider and that is why the fine was imposed I'm actually almost surprised given the potential level of danger here that the fine wasn't more than 20 seconds well, before we go any further uh, with this discussion, well, let's actually hear from Danny Stam, um, who was the DS at uh, Team SD Works. He was also the the man behind the wheel, um, and uh, let's give let's uh, let him have his say about uh, why he did it and what his thoughts were on the penalty. Well, I've, I think I think it's totally ridiculous if somebody punches her and you bring her back to the caravan and you pass a couple of cars and then you go to the side that we get punished for 20 seconds. And I think also that UCI, I mean, we know they are always right, but I think they also need to look in mirrors and uh, think a little bit, okay, what is actually the race? And I don't think something makes it different in in the final stages for this, but we can lose it to the front on five seconds. And I think if that's decision is made by somebody who sits in a car, probably never was on a bike, yeah, then I'm pretty disappointed in that kind of things. What was the discussion between you and the commissaire on the moto? There was, you know, we could see on the television that there was a bit of a back and forth there. What, what were you saying to each other? Well, not so much actually, because the windows stay closed and uh, he just said that I need to go behind my rider and I think if you look at the TV, then I directly did that. So for me, it's also strange that we don't get a warning and that they don't say you need to go behind your rider, but they directly punish uh, with 20 seconds. And I think it's too much for a 
yeah, for, for something like this. And uh, it can have a big influence on, uh, on the final of the Tour de France. And I think if we have decisions like this at top sport level for something small, yeah, then we really need to see if we are on the right way. I think you're using it as an example, knowing it was such a high-profile rider involved. I don't know. I, I have the feeling they don't think so much. Is this actually written into the rule book that you can't go on the left side up for your rider up the caravan? Is that specifically written in the rule? Well, the problem is it's two different rules. I think the UCI rule and the national rules are different compared what happened here. And the UCI said to me, yeah, it's, it's tolerated normally, but not in the Tour de France. Okay. I mean, how do you see the... 20-second penalty, bearing in mind that the tourmalay, I mean, the gaps can be huge on some, uh, a course like that. It can be, but it can also be not so big. And again, I think if, if you lose the Tour de France on five seconds, then I hope that all the people that make decisions look a little bit in the mirror. So that was a, a fairly kind of belligerent uh, Danny Stam. Um, he's kind of claiming that he didn't do anything wrong kind of thinks that it's ridiculous he thinks it's kind of a punishment for being at at the Tour de France when the behavior in any other race would be uh, perfectly uh, acceptable but it's funny you know I was in the press room at the time and uh, all of the journalists felt like it was definitely going to be a punishable thing mm. particularly when the commissaires were on a moto already coming up lots of wagging fingers I mean we're quite on the tour de France you get used to lots of people wagging fingers at you but um, it was quite clear that the commissaire had seen the behavior was not happy with it and it kind of carried on a little bit uh, for longer uh, until the commissaire eventually got actually up to Danny Stam, up to the window and said you need to uh, to stop. Obviously Danny Stam's argument there um, was that you know he's car number one um, as you know they have the yellow jersey they're car number one so in the convoy that goes behind the riders they sit right um, at the front uh, but Lizzie you know does that is that a rule does that give any credence Shaking to what he's head. saying yeah no <laughs> no because yes he's right he's car number one um and that means that he can follow the rider behind the rider all the way back up to his position mm. in car number one rather than slotting back into whatever position he you know if he was car 11 or whatever um but you have to be behind the rider. You know, his defence was saying, well, I was at the front, so I can go to the front anyway. But he, he knows very well that you have to be behind. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't know, actually, because maybe he's never at the back of the convoy because they win too much. <laughs> <laughs> but I know full well, you know, I crashed at the Giro, 70 kilometres an hour. I was really lucky that um, the car that came around me was the Israel Premier Tech Roland car and wanted to help me get back to the bunch because my car wouldn't have been allowed to do that. If it was my car pacing me back to the bunch, I may have been disqualified I may have been fined but thankfully because um, the Israel car was essentially coming back to the convoy because there was a delay in the convoy due to my crash they helped me back um, and then as I went back to the front of the bunch my car re remained behind me that's how it has well, that's, to be done yeah that's because it's not in you know they're not intentionally trying to help you are they you know if it's another team car and you are yeah. allowed to draft but you know hop what we normally see is riders hopping uh, along the convoy you know they go behind one vehicle and they hop onto the next one hop onto the next one I mean it but it was kind of remarkable actually how I mean I think Demi Vollering, when she had this puncture, she was almost like kind of 800 metres behind uh, the peloton. And it was almost in no time uh, at all uh, mm. was she 100 metres behind, which is, you know, is, is kind of ridiculous. Because obviously punctures are a part of racing and, you know, that's part of the luck um, of, of racing. Obviously, Danny Sam is incredibly experienced. Uh, DS, yeah. uh, maybe, there's a little bit of a sense maybe that he felt because he was so experienced because they asked almost a you know untouchable team that maybe they could get away with it a bit more that, that maybe they wouldn't you know put a 20 second penalty on I on think someone who was you know the GC fa one of the GC favorites I think as well there's some of this hangover from the Vuelta and the way that they got stung there with their pee break and um, not being mm. able to get back and then later um, Need Fisher Black also got barraged and it, you know it felt like yeah. it was a a real you know punishment towards SD Works for being so good but um you know the, the stupid thing is that in the Tour de France and in Grand Tours this year teams are allowed two 
cars. So actually the race convoy is incredibly long for a women's race at the moment, much longer than it ever has been. And so coming back through the convoy is really not a stressful situation it, because it's because there are so many cars to draft. Um, it was 60 kilometers into the race, 60, sorry, 60 kilometers still remaining. So the race wasn't actually on at that point. The other stupid thing is that Demi Vollering had lined herself up for a bike chain. She'd taken her um, sticker off the handlebars that had all of her race markers on. She'd taken her bottles out of the cage, had one hanging in her mouth. And then they decided to do a real wheel change instead of a bike change, which was much, much slower than a bike a bike change, which you know would have been fast because she was bike number one, of course. So poor decision there as well, I think. Well, where do you think, Denny, that leaves uh, Demi Vollering? Because um, obviously 20 second penalty today. She obviously gained eight seconds because she got uh, yesterday in a bonus and got a little gap to Annemiek van Vluten. Um, so, you know, that kind of leaves her as a net uh, 12 seconds down on Annemiek van Vluten. I mean, I, sh- I should say uh, we did hear Demi Vollering at the, at the beginning of the programme and uh, when she was talking to the press, she was just saying that she didn't know what she had done wrong and uh, didn't know why, just found it the whole thing very strange and wasn't sure why it was happening um, to her. But yeah, where does that leave her? The Tourmalet is obviously a place where there can be very uh, big time gaps. Um, you know, 12 seconds down on your nearest rival, where, where do you think she stands now? I mean, that's a really difficult question, really. I mean, it all depends how closely matched they are when it comes down to the Tourmalet and, and the time trial, of course. And I think this year we were excited about the GC battle because we think Demi has kind of Demi Vollering has kind of stepped up a level with her climbing and her time trialing. So, therefore, we're expecting a much closer battle. So, I think you know, time-wise, obviously, she's lost now some seconds to Annemiek van Bluesen. She's behind on GC, not by a large amount. And in, you'd expect there to be, as you say, Rose, some time gaps on the Tourmalet and the time trial, and and therefore maybe 12 seconds might be inconsequential. But that's a might. That's not a definitely. And there's also the thing for Demi that she now has to... That's a psychological issue she's got to come over. There's the disappointment of losing 20 seconds. There's the fact that she knows now she's got to gain some time on Annemiek van Vluten. It's not about defending time. Mm. So that she's got to kind of try and overcome that battle. Also, you know, I mean, you could say, well, you know, it was if, if it was the team car at fault, ultimately, for the... The penalty, you know, is it fair to punish the rider? It's, it's always course, like this that. Is, this is a team team game, isn't it? And, uh, you know, it's not an individual sport. And otherwise, why would you have teams? So, you know, they're part of the team. She followed the car. And, you know, so I think if, if the commissaires felt a, a penalty is justified, then it should be applied to her, yeah. unfortunately, in this case. Well, I mean, we, I mean, I think we all hope, really, that it, that the penalty is not going to come into it um, in terms of the final GC, that it, it won't be the deciding factor. Whichever way it goes, um, that it it won't be decided by a margin like that, I get. I mean, obviously, we always look for racing. That's very fine margins. It's always the most exciting racing. But, you know, if the penalty did come into play, I think that would be a real... Uh, disappointment for the tour which has been very lively so far and we can finally Ricardo don't worry we're finally coming to you and your <laughs> astounding win um, a fantastic win for Ricardo Baronfeind and also great to see um, two in a row of uh, a solo breakaway making it uh, to the line wasn't it I mean it was it, it's kind of a I think almost uh, we were so excited yesterday about Yara Castelline and we kind of not giving uh, Ricarda Baumfind her due, perhaps. Yeah, it was a tremendous win. I mean, she, uh, Canyon Shram were keen to to be aggressive all day, uh, as we find out from Magnus Backstep later. And um, you know, I, when I was at the roadside earlier, because I was in the team car, I could see them frantically chasing down the early break. They were obviously keen to make the race and then try to make it aggressive. And she picked the right time to make a move and and she took full advantage you know you have to give all credit to her she she looked she went past kind of i was at the front of the race again and she went past at 20k to go she looked really strong she 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 looked fully in control and um with the kind of break and the the chase kind of dithering behind Mm. um she took full advantage it's nice to see another uh, canyon tram generation rider winning of course she's Mm. Just like Antonia Niedermeyer at the Giro, Donne, uh, who won a stage and kind of uh, got a breakthrough win. She's another rider that's come through Canyon Tram's development team. Uh, she's only 23. Okay, 
I know the Tour, Tour de France fam isn't long in its history, but she's now the youngest rider to win a stage <laughs> like uh, at 23. But, you know, she, another another kind of breakthrough win from Canyon Tram at, at a Grand Tour. It's a really nice story for them. And, and I think it bodes well for them, if they can cling on to their riders, that is, uh, for the future, because they've always looked to uh, kind of Nivea Doma to kind of get the big wins. And now they've got a couple of riders coming through that look like uh, they might have the talent to kind of... Uh, kind of offer them a, get a few more options I mean it is fantastic all just always to see a bit of hard work paying off as well because we've seen her be so close the Volta Femenina I remember mm. we uh, we heard from her didn't we Lizzie when we did our Arrive pod yeah. uh, uh, for that because she was uh, she was so close on the stage five in the Vuelta. She came third after Vollering and uh, Annemiek van Vluten uh, on um, and uh, you know she ended up fifth. so fifth. high on ended up fifth on GC but um, <laughs> that was bearing in, in I know and I didn't play. even get to the Apple roll slowed me down and then Lizzie just swooped she's on the on the fifth on the queen stage yeah yeah fifth and on then, the um, queen stage um, and then on the GC she was seventh overall wasn't she Lizzie that's that is from memory I fifth. haven't got that written in my notes fifth on GC <laughs> <laughs> Apple roll. <laughs> no, but you're right, it's Rose. We the, the heat. But no, we, I was, yeah, well, I was also going to say she she ended up fifth uh, on GC, and that was including the fact that on the third stage, uh, she actually, which was just a a, a Voss win, a, you know, a sprint stage. They actually um, she got caught out uh, and ended up in a because there was echelons earlier. She got caught out and was behind and lost uh, over a minute and a half there and then yet she still ended up so high uh, on GC even even with that so it's kind of that she's finally she's finally got a win um, after being such a, an impressive talent that all year yeah I mean that that uh, fifth place on the Lagos de Covadonga stage was a real breakthrough ride for her and we were and also the really third place on the uh, that I also mentioned, and also the fact that she Mirador de Peñas Yeah, no, no, you're right. I um, I butted in too early. I was thinking I was thinking you were talking about the Queen stage, so that's completely <laughs> completely my bad, Rose. Um, but no, you're right. We spoke to we there spoke you are, to her Daddy, That's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke to her you know we should just cut this whole segment sorry listeners um, we spoke to her after that win and um, I think it was just a, it was a it was a point where she was beginning to understand what she was capable of you know I don't think she really knew that she could be that good against the likes of Van Vluten and Vollering in a climb like that and then there was a really big question mark around her coming into this race because um, she went to Lotto Touring in uh, Rundfahrt Tour and Tour de Suisse she DNS'd in both in stage three of both of those races due to a knee injury and I actually wasn't sure if she would actually be selected for this race because you know the knee injury was obviously you know it had put things in doubt you know she'd had to be rested for a while she wasn't able to race was it going to be a problem here um but clearly not you know she's come back and and um shown us all what she's capable of but you know we've been following the canyon tram generation squad over on the cycling podcast i'm an hour haven't we rose and um i think we actually we were talking about her at the end of last year about the you know the amazing the amazing season that she'd had last year when she was U23 ITT and road race champion in, in Germany. And we were even then saying like, you know, she could be something really exciting for Canyon Shram. And along with that injection of new riders, like you said, Denny, and the injection that Magnus Backstead has brought brought to the team in the really aggressive attacking nature has changed the way that Canyon have raced, have been racing and brought them more wins this year than they've had in donkey's years sorry canyon it's great that you're having it now but i mean it's true you know they've won with chloe diger this year they've won with uh with ricardo bauenfein now on the biggest stage and it's really great to see that everything that they're putting in to the canyon tram generation team and feeding that into the canyon tram racing team the extra resources they've put into sports directors and staffing side it's all paying off and it's really really cool well, you mentioned there, Lizzie, uh, the man himself, Magnus Backstead, and uh, Denny caught up with him at the finish. Magnus, first of all, I mean, congratulations on a, an amazing win today. Um, talk us through how it went and what, what was your plan going into the day? Well, the plan was to be aggressive from the start and try and, try and you know, create a break that went up the road and ideally have a one or two in it. Um, 
that didn't quite go to plan as 11 riders went up the road without one of us in there. Um, but then we quickly kind of changed around and decided to make it a very, very hard bike race until we hit the climbs and, um, and then go from there. And that's pretty much what happened. So um, in the end, uh, we spotted a moment where the front group looked like everyone was, mm, they were a little bit, uh, yeah, on edge maybe, or I don't know, it just looked like they, everyone's looking at each other. So I said to Rika in the radio, look, in about 500 meters, there's, there's another kick up going there for a kilometer and a half, try it. And she went and uh, I mean, from that moment on, it's just all her and her ability, you know, to hold, hold that group off. Yeah, I mean, were you worried at all that they might come back? I mean, Royce was kind of closing the gap, wasn't she, towards the, uh, towards the end there? Of course we were worried. I mean, when you see Royce getting on the front, you know it's a serious business. So, um, yeah, it was, we knew it was going to be close. And, but at the end of the day, I think Ricardo rode really smart and, and she kept on believing and kept on, on pushing. Um, and I guess that's, you know, if you're not closing down a serious chunk of time very, very quickly, then the chase also tends to sort of slow down a little bit. And yeah, I'm just happy that everything worked out for us today. Yeah, biggest win of the year? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. the biggest stage really. I mean, you know, it's the tour, isn't it? So um, yeah, by far the, the biggest one, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, been slim pickings for every team other than SD Works generally this year. So yeah. how, how pleasing is it to kind of break that kind of voodoo, as it were, and, uh, you know, show that a team like yours can uh, win on the biggest stage? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously very, very rewarding when it happens, and, and I guess even more rewarding because it happens on, on such a big stage as well. But, um, I mean, we kept on, we've pushed since the start of the year, and we kept on believing and kept on changing ways of how to, to try and win bike races. And, you know, it's, we've pulled off a couple of wins already this year and, and another one, big one today here. So, yeah, we keep on, we keep on pushing. The cycling podcast of the 2023 Tour de France fam is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Science in Sport are the world leaders in endurance nutrition. And that is key, especially when the riders are taking on the longest single stage in the modern era like they have here at the Tour de France fam. Take SIS's Go Isotonic Energy Gels, the world's first energy gels to mimic the gut's fluid composition to be absorbed more rapidly into the bloodstream. Each energy gel provides 22 grams of carbohydrates to boost energy on the bike and stave off fatigue. So like all SIS products, Go Isotonic Gels are scientifically formulated to help riders maintain their pace for longer. Fuel, hydrate and recover like the pros at scienceinsport.com. Well, Denny, you had another first today. We've done uh, press buffet, caravan, a bit of a disappointing uh, feed zone. Although, coming to it, you will be doing, you did do a few more feed zones uh, today. But today was your, your first day uh, in the team car and you were with Life Plus Wahoo. And, uh, well, let's just hear how you got on, shall we? Well, here we are, Denny, at the start town, on le chateau uh, for stage five of the Tour de France fam. And we, you're about to embark on another one of your Denny's debuts, another one of your firsts for the week. Um, you're going on. We're putting you in a team car today, aren't we? Yeah. So we, we, I'm going to be joining the Life Plus Wahoo team. I'm being put in the second team car. Uh, and I am told that the team are hopeful there will be a... A rider in the break so uh, and if that's the case then the team car will go up and follow that rider so I'm keeping my fingers crossed as a bit of action I'm expecting some more feed zone action so I'll be able to compare and contrast what happened uh, <laughs> yesterday and uh, yeah just excited to see what goes on in a in a team car okay so how is your car sickness that is uh, that's kind of key well yeah as you'll have noted Rose I'm a cautious driver yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been very politely not said anything but uh so yeah no, I, I think you'll find Denny. i actually said that you were uh, too polite yes, the politest driver on the tour de france fam yeah yeah i need to learn how to be less polite apparently so um yeah so obviously i'm expecting kind of some very fast uh and uh ex- thrilling driving in the in the back or and hopefully the front of the race um yeah see how we go i have to hold on to the uh side of the car will I dear life well good luck Denny
So we're now about 23.4 kilometers into the race route today. Um, we have stopped by the side of the road so the team can give up some bidons. It's a, an extremely hot day today, 31 degrees and uh, not a cloud in the sky. So the riders are bound to be thirsty. So this will be an important stop. We've just heard the, the bombshell over race radio that Rena Vibus is a DNS today. And uh, the team will be keeping their fingers crossed that they'll have a rider in the break. Okay, so here comes the first group on the road, uh, Life Plus Wahoo, have a rider in the break, which they'll be delighted with. It's uh, 187. And a successful bead on handover there. In fact, she's going for two, and she gets both of them. Uh, Morgan was for down the hill slightly and R2 was up the hill so now they've got, get, got to get ready for the uh, bunch to arrive in this uh, baking hot sun and here come the peloton now the motorbikes are rolling through it's a bittersweet start to the race for Life Plus Wahoo because we've been told that Kaya Ries the, uh, the Polish rider has uh, decided to abandon, she's suffering the after effects of a a crash from last week so we're going to be playing musical chairs in the car now with uh, Spencer departing and uh, Kaya joining us for the rest of the race I believe. Okay so just when we thought all of the groups had come through there's another group on the road a fourth group and I believe Babat Van der Wolf, the youngest rider in the race, is in this group, so she's just collecting her bottle now. There she goes, and that group is some way behind, so they're going to have to get a wriggle on if they're going to see the front end of the race again. So now we're just waiting for Kaya to join us. She's with the Voiture Ballet, which uh, brings up the rear of the race and uh, She'll be joining us uh, very shortly. Uh, I imagine she's extremely disappointed. Here she comes. Looks very, very emotional uh, right now, but uh, completely understandable. Biggest race in the world, and uh, I'm sure she wanted to complete it. So that was the sound of uh, Kaya leaving the car. It was, uh, she was very uh, down and dejected, as you can imagine, leaving the, uh, the tour fam. Not many words said in the car, to be honest, when she was here. And uh, I think she just wanted to be alone with her thoughts. So she's now getting in with the, the soigneur and she'll be taken straight to the hotel. And meanwhile, we're following the final group on the road now, Babette van der Wolf, and we'll be underway again in a minute to uh, catch up with her and see if she needs any uh, support or refreshment. Mamet, five minutes uh, to the bench. Okay. I'm okay. You have ice? We will uh, we'll try to manage something. You have ice? Yeah, yeah we're going to give you. Come to me now. So it's an extremely hot day today, and uh, Babette van der Wolf was earlier asking for some ice. So uh, the performance coach Artur uh, clambered into the back of the car there cut up some old tights and uh, filled them with large lumps of ice and we've just done the, the handover to Babette. Hopefully that'll give her a bit of a relief as she uh, continues her chase back towards uh, the front of the race. So we've just been absolutely railing it on uh, some uh, back roads off the course. Uh, Morgan was keen to get up in front of the race having been at the back of the race uh, to do a feed and they're busy now preparing ice and bidons uh, as quickly as possible before the the race arrives uh, that was uh, kind of what i was expecting a little bit uh, just being thrown around in the back of the car as uh, 
they kind of sped along at 80, 90, 100 kilometers an hour. Uh, and now we're waiting for the riders to arrive. So there are groups and riders all over the road at the moment as we're about 66 kilometers to go. And this is now, the, I think, the fourth group on the road. April Tacey's in there. Uh, and uh, we had Margot Vigi kind of just riding ahead of them, a couple of minutes ahead of them, completely on her own. No bikes, no cars, nothing around her. Um, this is a long, it's gonna be a long, hot day for, for some of these riders. So we're now in front of the race yet again. Um, just had a, a nerve-wracking ride <laughs> through the back roads uh, again. Um, and not only were we kind of uh, railing it around corners, uh, uh, speeds which I am not comfortable with, being a self-confessed cautious driver, uh, they were, that was on kind of open public roads. So we weren't on the course. We were just desperate to... Um, to get ahead and uh, I was talking to Morgan Nieski just now uh, the the assistant DS here at, uh, at Life Plus Wahoo and he was saying you know it's a it's a real logistical challenge for him and uh, 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 and the team today because they're just trying to do everything they can to give riders refreshment give them ice to keep them cool uh, on a hot day like this it's so important so um, and this is the only race of the year in which they've had uh, two cars at the race. So this is a new job for him and um, doing, a, doing a very good job uh, of getting around the course by, by the looks of it. But uh, yeah, you need to have uh, balls of steel to drive like he does. <laughs> so here comes the final group on the road with uh, Babette van der Wolf. Some 18 minutes behind. Nice. Morgan and Artur giving her the thumbs up, giving her some encouragement. And uh, at the front of the race, there's only six k's to go, but uh, another 21 k to go for Van, uh, for Van der Wolf. So it just goes to show uh, how big the gaps were. We're getting back into the car now. And um, from uh, Morgan and Artur's uh, point of view, it's pretty much job done for the day now. So a final act of the day now. We've just uh, gone, come alongside Babette van der Wolf and uh, they've got about 10 kilos of ice to hand over to her to give her a last bit of uh, refreshment before uh, the run-in back to the finish line. She's uh, stuffing the ice into the back of her jersey. Do you want something to drink? To drink, Babs? More ice? Allez, come on, Babette. Come Allez. on, good, good job. Yeah, don't worry, I will don't keep worry. you in touch. It's, it's fine, it's fine. So we've just seen uh, Ricarda Bauenfeind there win the stage on our screens, uh, in our phone, on our phones in the car. But uh, meanwhile at the back here, uh, Morgan and Arto are just trying to frantically work out whether or not uh, Babette can make the time cut. It's going to be uh, very close, apparently, and um, stopwatches are ticking away and uh, they'll be keeping their fingers crossed that um, Babette can do enough to, to make it over the line in time. There's a group of about... 10 riders, maybe slightly less. Um, and when we went up to them just now and to give uh, Babette uh, ice, they look completely exhausted. I guess probably worn out from a very, very long day yesterday in the heat today. So uh, it's gonna be touch and go. Babette, if you hear me, end up. Morgan's asking uh, Babette to come back to the car, but I'm not sure if she can hear or not. They're, they're working, the group are working very hard together now, doing uh, through and off. Um, great sense of urgency in front of us. And uh, yeah, it's going to be very, very close. So here we go, pulling up alongside Babette now. Okay, Babette, you have one minute 30. You are one minute 30 ahead of the time gap, okay? You have one minute 30. Keep pushing, okay, girl? Do you need water, either gels? Allez. You are one minute 30 ahead of the delay. 
Allez Allez, Bobette, allez, last, last effort in a slightly uphill. Allez, come on, come on, hein. Allez, last 5K, allez, allez, allez. Don't worry, they will keep you in a race because you have this incident. 100% sure. So the group Babette's with has just been stopped by on the level crossing uh, and Babette is panicking that she uh, may not now make the time cut but um, Morgan has just been trying to convince her that she'll be okay and that she'll make the time cut now because uh, they'll take that into account but all of the DS's are now rushing to the, to the group of nine riders and um, trying to con reassure them that they'll be okay but they're clearly very concerned here uh, it's a real melee as we wait for the train to pass thumbs up from a commissaire by the looks of it so uh, hopefully that's good news Morgan's just had a word with the commissaire there everyone's licking it back to the car now So what's the news? Yeah, they, they stopped the, the time, but they will just, um, I'll say, uh, so they'll just add save that. two minutes right. of the time. So, so they're still under pressure. To, to work. Okay. So. It will be good. Huh? If you keep walking the last 2K, it's very fine. So this is, uh, we're zooming through the streets now, trying to catch up with the group who are now uh, desperately trying to uh, meet the time cut, as you've probably just heard. Um, they've been told that the uh, stop was, uh, stoppage time was kind of deducted from the time they need to make, but um, it's still not over by any means, and uh, they've got a kilometre to go, so it's going to be touch and go, let's see if they can make it. Allez, 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 you will not leave us today, yeah? it's fine, yeah? allez, allez, come on. Final 400 meters. Just uh, 200 meters to go now for the girls. Allez, it's fine, it's fine, you will be on, you will be on. We can just see them crossing the line as we uh, are diverted off to the course. and the group um, has been stuck by the by the train like at 2k from the finish line so at the moment we don't know if I, I, we, we think Babette made it but uh, uh, I, 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 maybe I can try to, to, to find the referee now uh, we are in the car in the deviation um, uh, but yeah we don't know at the moment I let you know but just to let you know about the situation Well, I've just been uh, jumped out of the car quickly. Uh, Morgan and Artur had to pop off to the hotel, so I've been dropped off by the team buses, and now I'm going to try and grab some interviews, but also find out whether Babette actually made it or not, because they still weren't sure uh, when they dropped me off. So uh, let's go and find out. Well, Denny, you left it on a bit of a cliffhanger there. We don't know what happened to Babette van der Wolf at the, at the back of the race. Uh, I mean, this is one of those things that we all love about cycling is that there are so many races going on, aren't there? That Even the ones that you are totally unseen and you, you never even hear of them. Um, but yes, tell us how it resolved. Did Babette actually make it? Was she okay? Well, uh, I'm pleased to say she made it by 17 seconds, according to the communique. Tom Varney tells me it's seven the DS of Life Plus Wahoo, but I think it's 17. In any case, she made it just about uh, because they stopped the clock when the uh, level crossing barriers came down. 
started it again as it lifted and they managed to race to, uh, to, to save their, their tour. And it was, uh, it, was, it was really, really dramatic being in the car, very nerve-wracking for the team. And it just goes to show how much drama goes on that just isn't seen on camera. In fact, you know, that was more nail-biting than the finish today, in a, in a way, uh, certainly for me anyway. But yeah, it was an, it was an absolutely brilliant insight uh, to what goes on in the race. Uh, of course, as Lizzie said earlier, two team cars at this race, which is uh, unusual for women's racing. And it meant that the second team car was kind of basically just supporting the riders, giving them refreshments and ice on what was a searingly hot day on the roadside. It was incredibly hot. I mean, we don't, I mean, it was kind of 30, 30 degrees. I think was it was it? over that. Over 30 degrees. Yeah. It was yeah, 35 very, I heard, was battered around. Yeah, oh, and, well. and very little shade on the roadside as well. So it must have been horrendous for the You riders. see, I'm someone who doesn't look at the weather forecast. So that's why <laughs> I was just guessing at temperatures because I have no concept of what it was meant to be or what it was or uh, how I felt. But it was very, very hot. The sun was very, very uh, strong. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we saw a fantastic, obviously, solo win for Ricarda Bauenfeind. Um, but not much of a, uh, not much of a chase back, really. I mean, obviously, there was the effort there, as you said, Lizzie and Rotella, the attack. Marlon Royster um, cut a lot of her uh, lead and then kind of ended up uh, away with Liana Lippert. But there weren't really any, there wasn't anyone else that was kind of able to close her down. No, well, I don't think there was anybody else that was trying, was there? Um, there was a point at 20 kilometres to go or a little bit before where the different teams started attacking and counter-attacking, see if they could sort of get across maybe because they didn't actually want to pull. But it was just making no no difference. Nobody was going anywhere. Everybody has kind of got slightly tired legs at this point. Um, and then eventually, eventually SD Works realised, well, you know, they've got to put Royster off on the front if they want a chance of bringing this back. But it was interesting because I think that... Um, you know, quite a few people were actually kind of quite happy to see Bound win. And, you know, you never you never mm. want to let a stage win go. Um, but in that group, you know, Kopecky was there. So if anybody else tries to bring it back, Kopecky's probably going to win that sprint to the line. Um, so there's a little bit of well, like... Well, she won, she won the rest, the best of the rest, didn't she? Yeah, she did. After exactly. Well, the only person who's beaten her in a sprint like that is uh, Liana Lippert, of course, who was away. That is true, but I mean, there was also a you know flat. That was stage two, wasn't it? And that was, there was a flat punch of uh, a flat tire for Lottie Kapicki, which what she said was why she didn't quite uh, have the zip. Well, shall we listen to um, a couple of people that you kind of referring to there, uh, Lizzie? Uh, we'll listen to Marlon Royce of SD Works first, who was uh, kind of uh, conflicted, um, and she kind of. Uh, is going to start her interview talking a little bit about uh, the move that she made accidentally and ended up away with uh, Liana Lippert. And Liana Lippert of uh, Movistar, um, who was uh, probably... Uh, well, both of them said that they were kind of there strategically and not going for the win, uh, didn't they? But, you know, read into that what you will. Um, so let's hear from first from Marlon Royce and then from Liana Lippert. For a bit too, I was like, I, I have to really to see back how this happened. I didn't see that. And yeah, then it's uh, Liana there who is who's got a pretty fast sprint also. Me that all did all this work and I'm anyway not a good sprinter so and we have lot in the group so for me and for the team it was clear that I sit in with Liana. Which was a bit uh, not so nice for her. I really like Liana and would have liked to work with her. And uh, yeah, then I was thinking if we make it or not. And there also like I somehow hoped we make it. Somehow I also hoped uh, Ricarda would uh, finish it off because I think it's well-deserved and uh, also nice for Kenyon Shram. You didn't get the sense that there, were like, there weren't a lot of attacks going at that point from to bring Ricarda Baumfine back. Was that because she was too strong? Was everyone trying to get away but couldn't get away? Before, there were, were a lot of attacks. Uh, that's also why we decided we should start to put pace and pull her back. And... Uh, yeah, I think the, the from this group it's clear or it's clear. It's high probability for Lotte to win. She's a really fast sprinter. I think the others knew this. And then it's yeah, it's clear that they don't help to pull too much with us always winning and Lotte being so fast. So I really understood the way that this was written this final. Is it frustrating? Being a well, obviously you get to enjoy a lot of wins as an SD works rider, but it seems sometimes the peloton is against you a bit. Yeah, against 
I, uh, I think we still have a lot. Of, I feel like we're not. We don't have enemies, but it's it's clear if a team is so strong and we we got so much already this season. I, I think we have 50 victories. It's also clear that they don't offer us much more. So I really can understand how they ride. I, I would do the same. I would even be harder with this. I think. <laughs> Uh, Diana, can you talk through uh, the move with Marlon Royce? You know, when you saw that she wasn't working, how did you make the decision what to do in that point? Um, actually, I still keep on working because our goal is to that Demi Follering is not gaining more bonus seconds on the finish line, and I think they plan to go with Lotte and Demi for the seconds. So I give everything to take the seconds away, and I'm really, really happy for Ricarda that she takes the win. So it wasn't a move to, for the win at all? It was just like a strategic move? Basically, I just follow Marlene and I, it was not my intention sorry, to get away. I don't, really don't know what happened in the back, I don't know. So for sure I go for it if I have a gap with a rider like this. And yes. And tell us a bit about Ricardo. Obviously you know her as a, a fellow a German rider. Um, you know, she's such an incredible talent. Isn't she? Yes, for sure. I'm so happy, really. I'm really happy for her win. And yeah, I know her well. Uh, so she deserved this. And I already said before, I think she can be a surprise either in the general, but now for a stage, I think well, it's so good for the um, German woman cycling. Yes. Well, that was Leanna Lipper. I always think it's so... Um, funny how conflicted people how the riders can can be I mean we heard Marlon Royce like wanted to do something for Liana Lipper uh, and didn't want to kind of spoil her chances but also um, and also spoil her own chances but also was quite happy for Ricardo Baumfeind and Liana Lipper uh, as a German compatriot was obviously delighted that Ricardo Baumfeind got it but obviously she's not her teammate in terms of trade teams um, so then also wanted to go for the win uh, herself. Yeah, it's funny because it was actually the same scenario on stage three when um, Julie van der Velde was away and Lotta Kopecky was the one doing the lead out for the eventual winner, Lorena Vibas. And she said it was really difficult for her to do that because she's really, really good friends with Julie van der Velde and it would have been a huge, huge win for her. But at the end of the day, SD Works pay her bills um, and she's there to win the races with them. So yeah, it was nice to see Kopecky and van der Velde sort of joking around together on the start line the next day but it is it is difficult you know we're we're all there to do a job um but it's really nice to see when riders like ricardo bound find win and the whole peloton is so happy you know afterwards on on the on the uh coverage you could see Marlon rosa coming over absolutely beaming and saying congratulations to ricardo bound find and everybody coming up so happy for her not disappointed that they hadn't got the win just really pure elation for that rider and that's really nice and we have had now two in a row in terms of solo solo wins, perhaps, you know, unexpected wins or, you know, at least not SD Works uh, wins for, for one thing. Um, and I know that Ricarda Baumfind in the, the press conference she did afterwards said that she felt that might have been a little bit because the GC battle... Um, People are kind of concentrating uh, on that. The riders are really trying to save energy for the tourmalet. They, they know kind of the real racing is yet to come. So they're a little bit more willing to, you know, let a, a breakaway uh, go away. But obviously it makes for very exciting watching, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And she was, I guess, not to diminish her win at all, but she was the kind of right kind of rider to make that move and she made it at the yeah. right time and she did it mm. she executed it brilliantly but well we saw Claire Steels couldn't, couldn't she couldn't match it no yeah. no so you know not to not to take away from, from what she did but on the other hand with all the GC favourites kind of looking at each other um, she was able to kind of slip away and kind of make her mark and it was um, yeah it's great to see a different winner second German winner of the, of the race I was mentioning the Dutch kind of domination but they've they've won two stages now and um, uh yeah, just it's been nice to see a lot of solo winners this this time around. And um, although it wasn't, I guess, as thrilling perhaps as some of the other stages we've seen so far, I think what I noticed kind of being in the team car today was just how attritional the race feels already as well. Um, there were groups all over the road. And of course, Babette van der Wolf's group was right at the back. But um, very early on, the race was very strung out. And, you know, the the, the lead group that we saw at the end that came came in behind um uh Baumfind. they they were the they were the ones that have come out well from four very hard days racing particularly the race uh, the stage yesterday and i think the heat as we said earlier just 
really took its toll on the riders today as well. Well, we should actually say, I've actually just remembered, um, and this is just absolutely awful, that I actually spoke to Mariana Voss uh, on the finish line, and since I've done it, I've totally, I haven't even, it's not in my notes, uh, I've forgotten to upload it, but we do have a, an interview with Mariana Voss. I mean, she obviously, you're talking about how attritional it was, how hard it was, uh, you know, how the, the peloton kind of split up quite early. Obviously, Mariana Voss and Anuska Costa, who was uh, the polka dot jersey wearer, they ended up in a, a group behind. Voss would have obviously, uh, is kind of similar to, to, to Kapeki, isn't she? And, and would have really loved a finish like uh, we had today. Um, but, you know, her, is still building up her strength from uh, surgery. So let's hear what Mariana Voss said. Mariana, after all your surgery over the winter, how are you feeling? Is the form coming back now? Yeah, actually, uh, I feel quite okay it's it's a it's a hard tour uh, so that's uh, that's for sure um, every day uh, from the start on uh, it's uh, it's attacking and then uh, the speed is very high but um, yeah I feel quite okay and uh, yeah every day you try to recover as good as possible to to the next day how do you see it today do you think you're, you're kind of just missing that little bit of extra fitness or race sharpness to have stayed in that that front group well, yeah, of course, uh, I would have preferred to be there, but um, yeah, when we hit at the climbs, I also felt like, okay, probably this is the group I, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be in now, and uh, yeah, that was the the first group at Well, that was uh, undisputably the greatest of all time, Mariana Voss um, speaking to me at at the finish line. Obviously, a little bit. Um, Disappointed that she's not kind of in the form, perhaps. Uh, well, happy with the form that she's in, but you know, obviously, when you're someone like Mariana Voss, you're you want to be right uh, at the front, uh, don't you? But it can be very difficult to be Mariana Voss because people know you're good and know that you uh, go for the win. And we kind of saw a little bit that dynamic on the road, didn't we, Lizzie? Um, some riders are allowed to go, some riders are not allowed to go. Yeah, and there's this really fine balance between the time when you become strong enough in order to be able to make a solo move like Ricardo Bauernfeind did today, um, and then the time when you've gained that big win or the pelotons realise that you're a threat and then simply just don't let you get an inch. You know, if that was a rider like Nivea Doma who tried to go mm. up the road, they'd have been straight on her. There would have been a reaction straight away. The same with Longo Borghini, the same with Grace Brown. You know, she's had her day of escaping away and now nobody's going to let her move an inch. So, Well, you say um, Cachanivia Doma, Lizzie, but that's exactly what happened to Cachanivia Doma. You know, she won the women's tour. She went on a yeah. solo break when she was still um, kind of slightly unknown and people didn't know yeah. how strong she was. She won by, you know, uh, won a stage Two by a minute. minute. or something. A minute and, yeah. yeah, two minutes or something. And then, you know, that meant that the GC was pretty much yeah. wrapped up because you same, went Same with your favourite Lizzie, Anna Kiesenhofer <laughs> at the Olympics. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's true. You know, you're then your card is marked, aren't you? And then you uh, people know that you're a strong rider and that if you get away, then you'll be, you really will be away. Um, well, we can hear the jazz bands are definitely piping up, actually, so I think we're going to have to run. But, uh, I mean, we should let Francois Thomaso tell us a little bit more uh, about this terrific place. Um, here's Francois Thomaso about Albi. Now for some French flavour with B, Francois Thomaso. Right, a little bit of a French flavor from Albi. Well, on on the cycling front, it's um, it's a town that with the Tour de France men has gone to well quite a few times in the past. 2019 was the time when Wout van Aert won his first Tour de France stage in Albi, and it's it's also the uh, the birthplace of Lilian Calmejan, uh, won a, a Tour de France stage in Lerousse a couple of years ago and. Uh, Rode the, the men's tour uh, previously this month. There's a, another lesser known fact about cycling and Albi. So Albi was the uh, the birthplace of the famous French painter Henri de Toulouse Lautrec, and and as a huge well, the, the the main museum of Toulouse Lautrec in France is in Albi. It's it's really interesting museum. Toulouse Lautrec was a uh, was a well, died very young from alcoholism and venereal diseases. He's, he's very famous for his paintings and drawings of the uh, kind of nightlife and the brothels in uh, Paris in the, the the late 19th century. 
he was actually a great cycling fan. He, w- he was introduced to cycling by a friend of his, Tristan Bernard, who was a famous journalist and writer, who was the director and the manager of a famous cycling track called Buffalo uh, in Paris in the uh, yeah, in the late 19th and beginning of the 20th century. And, um, and Toulouse-Lautrec actually um, made a few drawings of uh, cyclists of the time and also designed publicity posters for um well for a chain um and for a few uh cycling brands of the time so yeah keen keen cyclist fan was Toulouse Lautrec the other main thing in Albi if you well and it's obvious when you're in town is the uh the cathedral and you know all the uh religious building buildings in the uh in in town all made of brick which is very original and the whole it's called the Episcopal City. The whole is uh, listed as, you know, a human heritage site by UNESCO. I mean, the, the whole thing was actually built in the Middle Ages after the uh, the monarchy, the, the the kingdom cracked down on what was called the Cathar Erethi, um, the heretics of the Cathar were kind of pioneers of what was to become you know, Calvinism and Protestantism. There was, you know, very puri- kind of a Puritan form of Christianism uh, that was very popular in the south of France in the 11th and 12th centuries. And so the, uh, yeah, the, the Pope and the uh, the official religion really, uh, well, destroyed towns, killed people, and uh, to establish kind of a propaganda of the grandeur of uh, Catholicism, they built huge cathedrals, uh, churches, and uh, and buildings as a token of you know, the strength of Catholicism, and that's uh, what you know the Albi Episcopal City reflects. Food-wise, uh, well, the one of the uh, very interesting dishes in the Albi is uh, cod cassoulet. Yeah, you you would believe cassoulet is only made of duck and pork. Well, Lionel, I'm afraid to say that on the Friday. You're not supposed, you know, if you're a good Catholic, you're not supposed to eat meat. So, uh, so you go for fish, and uh, in Albi you'll find very uh, interesting and uh, yeah, delicious cod de cassoulet. That's all for today. Well, that was Francois Thomaso telling us a bit more about Toulouse Lautrec being a, a cycling fan, which I thought was just a, a fantastic thing that I'd never um, heard before. But, you know, we want to go and enjoy the spoils of this town, don't we, Denny? So um, I'm going to wrap it up very quickly, actually, uh, Lizzie. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rose. And uh, let's knock back these Aperols and get out there, Denny. Let's go. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.